time for Coffee with the Chicken Ladies, a podcast for people who love chickens. Hey, everybody, and welcome. It's Chrissy and Holly from Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. We're here, and this is episode number 77 of our podcast, where we talk about everything chicken, family, fun, and more chickens. More chickens. We drink a ton of coffee. I'm talking a ton. But most importantly, we hug chickens every day and we kiss them too. Don't forget. We brew coffee from a little coffee house here in Bel Air, Maryland. Holly Ann, what kind of coffee are we brewing today? Breakfast blend. It's breakfast blend, but it's in the afternoon. It doesn't matter. (laughs) (laughs) Are you ready to sip some coffee and chat? I am. So, how are you doing? Great. We're literally mid-May. Yeah. Where did the month go? Well, I I spent a few days of it in Mexico. You went to the wool festival. I've been completely taken up with wool because, you know, we've got like 20 pounds of wool off the sheep and my gardens, which are growing and growing. Yeah. It's now finally getting a little warmer. Finally. I mean, it's not really where I would classify it super warm. It looks like summer outside to me now. It's starting to. I mean, the grass is green. Joe's cutting the lawn all the time. I've got plenty of grass. Yeah. The babies are getting so big. And do you know what's going to happen a week from now? We're getting new babies. Yes. Yes. So our McMurray chicks come Mm -hmm. in about a week. We're getting a second brooder ready because the other babies are weeks old at this point. Yeah. Our babies are six weeks old. It's crazy how fast the time goes. So many feathers. With Clover having her problem in the beginning, Mm -hmm. it's crazy. So I'm just glad everybody's feeling good and the new babies will be coming. We'll say it again that we're each getting one Heritage Delaware chicken Mm -hmm. after I raved about how much we wanted (laughs) one that we would. Pete really likes them too. I think they're pretty. Yeah. And two Andalusian. Very excited about them too. They're Mediterranean. So we'll be getting lots of eggs. With blue legs. Yeah. And they're going to be really beautiful. So we're excited about that. Do you have names yet? We do not have names, but we will. That's all right. Yeah. And I'm just excited to be part of the McMurray family with having our chicks from them. Lots of fun. Yeah, we'll talk a little bit more about that, our main topic. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Okay, can I ask everybody a huge favor? If you're listening to our show and you're loving it, head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a written review. It does amazing things for the growth of our show. Also, while you're there, hit that subscribe button. That's another thing that helps us grow and you never, ever miss an episode. You can also share your favorite episodes on social media and mention the podcast to any chicken friends you have who might be interested. Oh, yeah. You can go check out our Etsy shop, see the t-shirts that we have there. You can also become a patron of the show. Visit patreon.com slash coffee with the chicken ladies. Check out our levels of membership. We have a super fun group that meet once a month for our We pa- have so much fun on that Zoom call. For our Patreon happy hour. The other thing you can do to help the podcast is visit our show notes, use our affiliate links, and buy products from our sponsors. Yay! We have some exciting news to share from our sponsor, Grubly Farms. You can receive 25% off if you're a first-time buyer. I'm a long-time subscriber, and my flock love the healthy, nutritious treats, plus all products ship free. If you haven't heard, Grubly's has a fantastic layer pellet and crumble feed. It's packed with plant and insect protein, perfect for those picky chickens or ducks. This offer does not apply to subscriptions and cannot be combined with any other discounts. It's a great time to try Grubly Farms if you haven't yet. Use the code COFFEELADIES25. Try it today. Hey, Chris. Yeah. Do you like subscription boxes? Does it have anything to do with chickens? Of course. Then, yeah. 
Let me just take a minute to tell you about the Chicken Love Box. If you love goodies for your chickens and you, you need to go to chickenlove.com. I love the Mega Box. Tons of useful products for my flock and a chicken tea for me. You can't go wrong with the chicken tea. They are so cute and so soft. In the April Box, I absolutely love the big pack of greens and fodder seeds and the sparkly chicken earrings. Those bath bombs smell so good. And that wind chime is going to look so cute out in my run. Boxes start at $39 a month. They ship immediately after your order, and shipping is always free. It's such a great deal. Use the code CWTCL50 for 50% off your first box. Don't wait. Get off the nest and click already. That's chickenlove.com. That's chickenluv.com. Get your subscription today. Okay, now it's about that time. Breed Spotlight! Yeah. This week's Breed Spotlight is... The Campine. The Campine is a small-bodied chicken from Belgium. And I think they're absolutely gorgeous. They're really pretty. They remind me of a chicken that you have. Yes. We'll talk about that more in a minute, but you're absolutely right. Oh, yeah. The Campine were developed in the region of Kempen. That's where the name comes from. Mm -hmm. And they look almost identical to, but are smaller than the Brackle. Right. And we talked about the Brackle back in episode number 49. Wow. Yeah, I know. It doesn't seem like that long ago. But it was. The campaign is currently listed as critically endangered on the Livestock Conservancy's poultry conservation list. Yeah. This one needs our help. It really does. Well, you know what I'm going to tell you already. You could see this in your flock? You know I could. Could you see a campaign in your flock? I don't know. Well, let's do the spotlight first. This is one I can definitely see you can because you already have a chicken that looks almost identical. Exactly. Yeah, we really And for do. me, I kind of go for like the bigger chicks. And you do too. I like big chickens and, and I can like small lie. chickens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that does seem to be my preference. I like the really big ones, the Asiatics, yeah. the Jubilees, or I like the micro chickens, the Nankins, yeah. the other smaller ones, yeah, and the Mediterraneans. So the campaign were developed a few hundred years ago, primarily as egg layers. They're not a new breed. No. They were imported into the UK in about 1885 and showed up in the US in about 1893. They were admitted to the American Poultry Association Standard of Perfection in the Continental Class in 1914. Not too long ago, to be honest. Not really. Now, here's the important thing. The standard of perfection notes that at some point in time, the campines were crossed with brackles. Okay. Probably to give them more hardiness. And that this composite is what we have here in the U.S. as our standard campine. And I think actually I've read that in the U.K. as well. This is probably why the brackle does not appear in the U.S. standard of perfection. That's my guess. Maybe. Because they kind of folded the two breeds into one here in the U.S. They did. And it doesn't have a lot of color variety in this chicken either. No. They come in two colors. Gold. And, and silver. silver. And that's and the brackle, again, are very similar. If you've listened to the show, you will know that I have a pair of Egyptian Fayumis. Yes, you do have these Fayumis. And so if you look at both the gold and silver penciled campions, and you look at the gold and silver penciled Fayumis, you're going to find that they are very similar. Yes. Very, very, very similar. You know what else they're very, very similar to? What? Hamburgs. Yes. Gold silver penciled Hamburg. Yes. It's the penciling on the feathers. Right. The penciling is slightly different. And like in the case of the Hamburg, they have a rose comb. The Campine has a straight comb and the Fayumis have a straight comb. It's also the color blocking of the head and neck being uh-huh. one color and right. then the penciling of the feathers. Right. And also the fact that the Fayumis are the same as the silver, basically. Yeah. 
Well, there is a gold Fayumi. It's very rare in this country, but they do exist. Yeah. And they're smaller birds. Uh-huh. So the campeen, again, they have that straight comb. Well, the roosters, it's a moderate-sized straight comb. Well, yeah. the hens, it flops over. Yeah. That little jaunty flop-over comb. It's mm-hmm. so cute. They have white ear lobes. They have the dark eyes, the blue legs, and they have an upright tail. The tail, I feel like, is very Mediterranean-looking. They look like a Mediterranean bird. Yeah. They're very small, compact chicken Mm -hmm. with white earlobes. Which is continental, but in this case, it kind of flops over. Skews a little bit more towards the Mediterranean. It does to me. I mean, that's kind of what they look like. So, you know, they were developed all that time in Belgium, but the big question is where do they come from before that? Exactly. So, the white earlobes, the dark eyes, the blue legs, the upright tail, small bodied. Hens are around four pounds. Boy, six. Yeah. And believe it or not, there's a bantam version. Okay. It's hard to find, but there is a bantam version. This is another one where I feel like, why do we need a bantam version? To me, of this type of chicken, you don't need a bantam version. I guess you could use a one-pound version of it, but there are only four. Yeah. So they're already little. I can tell you in the case of the Fayumis, they don't take up much space on a roost. No. I have Lucy, who's Mediterranean, who is tiny. She's maybe slightly bigger than the Fayumis. Yeah. So poultry historian Lewis Wright Him was, again. Yeah. There aren't that many poultry historians, so well, we have to draw he, where we can. I know, but he is in everything. He had his hand writing around about every chicken out he there. He really did. In this case, he was a really big fan of the campaign, and he kept them himself. So there are several pages devoted to the campaign in his book. Okay. <laughs> he has a theory about the campaign and the Hamburg. I feel like you can't have these birds without seeing the similarities. He believes them to be descendants of a very old bird you see referenced called the Turkish fowl. Okay. My question is, is there a connection with the Fayumi and what was this Turkish fowl? Is there a connection with all of them in the Turkish fowl? It's possible. I mean, the Fayumi are supposed to be from Egypt, but if you're looking at North Africa and the Middle East and all the trading that went on around the Mediterranean, they're so similar. They really are. I don't know if there's ever been a DNA study done on these breeds. It looks like they would need to be. They're cousins for sure. Yeah, yeah. They are. I mean, you can tell they're all the same family. One of the things in the Fayumi breed standard is that they're supposed to have willow green legs. And Zara does have willow green legs. But Delilah has blue legs, which makes her even more like a Campina Mm -hmm. or a Hamburg. And the other bird that I feel like might be tied in here is the Sicilian buttercup. Very different comb, but again, the willow green legs and they have the spangles. But that's another thing. Yeah. Right now, we're looking at the three different the birds. The Hamburg, the Campine, the Fayumi. That yeah. look like one bird. So one of the traits of the Campine that's a little different is that the roos are hen feathered. Okay. Well, I should say they have a modified hen feather. I agree with that. They're different. Right. It's not like, in the case of the Seabright, the boys are really hen feathered. They do have more tail feathers. Yes, they do. And they do have more hackle feathers. So really... Their saddle and hackle feathers are not super developed. But they're there. They're there. And their sickle feathers are not supposed to be very long or very pointed. Yeah. So I would call them a modified hen feathering. They don't look like a hen. No, no. You can tell the difference. You can definitely tell the difference. Feathers on both sexes are dense and tight to the body. It's a Mediterranean breed. <laughs> this chicken reminds me of the Andalusians that are coming well, for like us. Well, like we were saying, I mean, there's a lot of trading all around yeah. the Mediterranean Sea, and then it went back up into Europe. This is really cool. According to the Livestock Conservancy, you can use the gold and silver campines to create autosex chicks. That is cool. Yeah. So if you breed a silver campine hen to a golden campine roux, it gives you distinctly colored male and female chicks. 
That's great. Yeah. I mean, I don't think anybody can argue that if you can auto sex, that's the best thing possible. Right. Clearly, you could not show those birds, but no. you still might get a nice layer. Yeah. And, you know, and you can tell which is the hen and which is the roo. Yeah. Now, here's the thing. They're active. Very. They love to dig. They love to forage. And some say flighty. I think almost everybody can say a bird is flighty. Probably. Flighty is also a good thing. We've talked about this before. They have to have that instinct. It's a defense mechanism. Yeah. yeah. The big ones are the super cuddly. Right. They are the smaller ones. They're very curious and inquisitive by nature. So They really are. And I have a feeling the campaigns are probably, again, similar to my Fayumis in that they want to be around you. I raised them from babies. Yeah. You know, they want to be around. They don't necessarily want you touching them, but right. they're always around my feet. Your Fayumis from the beginning were kind of like, don't hold me. Yeah. You held them and held them and held them. And I remember you would be like, Pete said somebody bit them. Like one of them too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he would just keep picking them up yeah. and they would bite off. That's probably Delilah, our little fighter. But she cracks me up and I say this all the time when I come over and she looks at you with these biggest brown eyes oh, and yeah. you're like, don't trust her because... No, she's just to draw you in. Yeah, she's going to draw you in so she can get you. I will say that I've been able to pet her lately without a bite. Good. If she doesn't realize I'm about to pet her, she jumps straight in the air. And the thing is that you don't have little kids around no. or anything so mm -hmm. that you can have a chicken like this. A lot of times you get out what you put in. With them, you put in a lot of love, and it still didn't change a lot of things. It made them more secure around me, just yeah. not cuddly. Right. Now, I don't know what roos in this group act like. I have no idea if the cockerels are right. similar to the hens, because I've never kept anything other than the hens. The golden campaign just is a real head turner. Yeah. It's such a beauty. Really pretty. And that beauty makes them excellent show chickens. They are. I would say managed correctly. They would also be great garden helpers. Maybe they could take some lessons from Gertie. Probably. <laughs> well, I mean, if you think about it, exactly what you would do with Gertie, you could do with these guys. Cover anything in your garden that you don't want them to tear off. Yeah. And then let them go. They'll clean out your beds. They'll yeah. turn over the soil. They'll leave you nice fertilizer drops. Oh, yeah. <laughs> totally. Gertie has her own gardening style here at the house. Yes. And you've heard me about 100 times yell at her to get away from my peonies. Oh, yeah. Because she tries to go in there. and I'm like, oh, heck no. But, um, <laughs> yes, they do have a reputation. They would be great in the garden for turning things over because they love to forage. Yeah. And not all chickens are going to be the huggable, cuddleable ones. No, I think there's a place for a beautiful chicken yes. that is comfortable around you. But doesn't want to be held. Doesn't have to be cuddly. That's absolutely fine with me. You can tell what they're comfortable with and you right. respect it. Yeah. The only exception there is if you need to give veterinary care. You need to be able to handle them. Back when I used to do llama training seminars, the teacher had this great phrase, into every life some rain must fall. Yeah. You've exactly. got to deworm them. You've got to do yeah. whatever. You have to be able to handle them. That's yeah. the difference between being cuddly. Yeah. So handling them a lot in the beginning may only make it so that you can handle them to medicate them or right. handle them to get a look at them or examine them. It may not be so that you're going to be cuddling up with them. Exactly. And they usually settle down. If you pick up Delilah or Zara, they squawk. Yeah. They carry on. Yeah. But they settle down when they realize you're about to do something with them. Yeah. And that builds trust. So this is a very pretty compact chicken. They are. They're going to give you lots of eggs for a smaller body chicken. Right. And they lay large white eggs. And they're about 160 to 200 per year. So there's some variable in there. Decent. They're respectable layers. Yeah. We came up with that word with the last episode and I like it. Yeah. The under 200 to me is a decent layer. Mm -hmm. And they don't go broody. So we had the episode a few weeks ago that we were talking about how to break a broody. Right. With this chicken, you're also not going to have to worry about broody. Yes. Yeah. Any chicken can go broody. 
But with this chicken, the tendency is not to go right. broody. So that can take away an element right there you have to worry about. Yeah. Now, they're not super cold hardy. They not do surprising. prefer warmer weather. A good chicken for southern climates. Yeah. And then if not, you can have a panel heater in the winter with them to protect right. yeah. their home and waddles. Temperatures below 20, they yeah. probably need some help. Yeah. Or have them in with some big girls because that's what I do. Like if you have a few little ones and right. some big ones, they mm-hmm. all keep each other warm. Yeah. So it's a chicken that will suit someone's purpose for oh, yeah. if you have a small area, you want a lot of eggs. And, and since they don't go broody, you don't have that interruption in egg yeah, laying. Yeah, exactly. They are probably more efficient with food, excellent foragers, yeah. all of those things. A homestead in the South, if you're not looking for a cuddly chicken, if you're looking for just a friendly chicken that hangs out right. with you, you're probably fine with the campaign. Oh, yeah, for and sure. I keep coming back to how gorgeous they are because I just think they are beautiful birds. They're very pretty. You probably need to protect the combs and models from frostbite. They're not enormous, but they have some size on them. Yeah. Shelter from the wind. I've noticed that small-bodied chickens really feel the cold and bitter wind in the winter. So a shelter corner with tarps or plywood or something. I wrap tarps around, so it gives them a shelter. Mm -hmm. There is a campaign breeders and exhibitors group on Facebook. Yep, and we did see some breeders on there selling breeding and show stock. The other place you can get these, McMurray Hatchery. Yeah, they have a golden campaign line. They do. My Pet Chicken and Purely Poultry also had a golden line. That's awesome. And you can always check the Livestock Conservancy's breeder directory. Exactly. If you're looking for some show stock or just think this would be a great homestead bird. Yeah. If you have the campaign and would love to share a picture with us, come on over to Instagram and tag us or share a story with us. I can see me with some golden campaigns. You can definitely see these in your flock because you already have their cousins. I know. (laughs) We joke about the families, but we love them. Sometimes they're called the seagulls. And sometimes they're called the roadrunners. But in general, we really do love them. They're very friendly and quirky birds. And don't forget that they're critically endangered. So if you're looking for a homestead breed that you might want to do some conservation hatching and breeding with, Campine would be a good option. Definitely. Have you heard of Strong Animals Chicken Essentials? They make natural supplements for your flock. Strong Animals has used plant-based products and natural approaches to promote the health and vitality of backyard flocks. Their products contain organic essential oils, prebiotics, and other natural ingredients to support the immune system and digestive health. Give your chicks and chickens what they need to thrive with Strong Animals Health Products. Visit GetStrongAnimals.com today. Roosties proudly sponsors Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. If you're raising chicks or keeping chickens, take a look at Roosties' store on Amazon.com. We've personally tested their products and we're huge fans. They have their famous nesting pads, those fantastic chick water and feeder kits, do-it-yourself port feeder kits, water or nipple, and water or cup kits. And you don't even need to drive to the stores. They're all available for prime delivery on Amazon.com. Visit Amazon.com and check out the Roosties range or follow the link in our show notes. Okay, so now it's about time that we move into main topic. Yeah. Yeah. This week, we are talking about coccidiosis in your chickens, right? Right. So let's tell everybody first what exactly coccidiosis is. I think sometimes there's a misconception when it comes to what this is. Right. It's one of the top killers of chickens, especially young chickens. Coccidia are protozoa, so Mm single-celled parasites. They attach to and feed on tissue and debris in your poultry. Just to clarify for everyone, because I think a lot of people think when we say parasite, we always mean worm. 
a parasite can be anything that lives off of your chicken. And in this case, like you said, protozoa, it is a creature of microscopic proportions. Right. They target the mucosal lining of your chicken's gut and untreated can quickly become fatal. There are different strains that affect different animals. So for instance, one of my sheep could have coccidiosis, but it's a whole different strain than what my chickens would have. And one of my dogs or a cat can have it. Right. This is where I was in the realm of coccidiosis for 15 years as a vet tech in small animal. Right. I mean, in chickens, the most common variety is Imeria. Right. That's what you almost always see in chickens. The thing about coccidiosis, if you're trying to, say, Google it and look up information about it, it can be confusing because most of the research has been done with an eye to commercial setting. In a commercial setting or a setting where there's a high stocking density of chickens, lots of chickens in a small space, the mortality can be around 80%. Yeah. If you think about it this way, I have five chicks and Holly Ann has six chicks right now. And then you see in a commercial setting, 5,000 plus chicks. Right. There's a lot more poop. There's a lot more walking yeah. through the poop. There's yeah. a lot more moisture. Moisture makes it multiply quickly in the environment. So if you have a big, huge commercial flock, it's going to be more detrimental. And the moisture is something that people need to understand. The protozoa are in oocysts. And the oocysts need moisture to sporulate or spawn. To breathe. Exactly. So keeping your bedding and your areas as dry as possible is a really good way to try to prevent that. We'll talk about prevention tips at the end, but that's just something to keep in mind as we go. So let's go back and look at the history of coccidiosis. So I think that people were aware that there was a problem. There was this parasite or bug, you know, that had this particular set of symptoms. The first scientist to really look into it was Dr. Harold Benjamin Fanthome. He was at Cambridge University in about 1910 when he mapped out the life cycle of the coccidia. It wasn't until like 30 years later that another scientist at Harvard, Dr. Ernest Tizer, did a lot more research and really worked on and identified the Ameria genus. And that research, if you think about it, we were talking about 1940, was driven by chickens becoming an important part of industrial agriculture. Industrial chicken keeping can definitely play a role in helping us as backyard chicken farmers, because if there weren't a need in the industrial setting, a lot of the scientific research would not have been done to get the dewormers and all these different things that we need so that we can help our backyard flocks. Right. I feel like coccidiosis was probably around. People knew the symptoms. They would maybe lose an occasional bird. But once you move to the commercial setting, it's a whole different thing. Your stocking density is way up. Diseases travel a lot more quickly. Post-war, people were moving to this industrial model. So yeah, it was that research that really showed what coccidiosis was, what it did, and let someone come up with a really clever antidote to it. They starve them. Scientists figured out that the coccidiosis need thiamine to survive. Right. And like you said, they developed this thiamine blocker to store them. It actually really is a fascinating and groundbreaking way to treat something. Let's talk about the coccidia themselves. They're found in the soil. They're found everywhere. And the thing with coccidia is they can lie dormant for a long, long time. Yeah. And then your chickens scratch the dirt and put their faces right in the dirt. Yeah. And that's how they bring them in. The infections occur in chicks and young chickens because their immune systems are still developing. 
if an older chickens had exposure to coccidia, they may be able to fight off because their immune system is much stronger. So when you have a chick that you're just putting out into the grass or wherever, and they're scratching and they have no immunity to this, even a very small load can affect that chick in a very detrimental way. Once they come into contact with the coccidia, the symptoms generally start within the first four to seven days. And that's going to be where the chick is in development with immunity. So say it's a very small chick, it's going to move through quicker. I've heard of people taking like bits of soil from their chicken runs or bits of grass and putting it in the brooders with chicks to help small exposures along and help build their immune system. I do see some logic to that. Scientifically, it's a sound theory. You know what that sounds like to me? It sounds like a mini homemade vaccine in the making. What a vaccine does is gives you slow exposure and build an immunity against it without causing a backlash of infection. It actually is kind of a smart idea. I feel like you need to do a couple things. If you're going to do that, you need to have the cure on hand. Yeah. We talk about the chick first aid kit. Mm -hmm. it is in our list. And medicated feed, which we'll talk more about in a minute. So if you have a bird that develops coccidiosis. Let's talk about symptoms. Birds with acute coccidiosis you know, an active ongoing outbreak, they'll be puffed and hunched. You know that look when just a chicken is not right. The other thing to look for is pale combs and wattles. That is a sign of not enough nutrients going to where they need to go. Severe diarrhea that will progress to bloody diarrhea, which I've seen firsthand and it is scary. Yeah, we both have had experience with coccidiosis in our flocks at one time or another. I've had an experience with it with my very first flock, and they were three to four months of age. Mm -hmm. So they weren't young, tiny chicks. They were already out in the run. Right. And I think you've had experience with a tiny chick, correct? She wasn't tiny. She was a juvenile. She was fully feathered, but she was not old enough to be out permanently. One day she didn't look well, the next day she had bloody diarrhea. And I always have cord on hand. So we treated her. It's really scary to see your chicken having bloody diarrhea. None of the other chicks had it. Right. We did treat with cord in the water on the vet's advice because he said, if there's coccidiosis in that breeder, all of them have had yeah. exposure to it. So, yep. And we were taking it outside at that point. So we do totally get that she could have picked it up outside. And the only other time I've had coccidiosis was an adult hen. It did not progress to bloody diarrhea, and she quickly rebounded after treatment. One of the things to look for, you can have a low-grade case of coccidiosis in an older chicken. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the only things you will notice are like weight loss and decreased egg laying. Well, with any parasite overload, you're going to see that. It can be across the board. Coccidiosis is one of the parasites. All of them can cause kind of mimicking symptoms. The coccidiosis can move quicker than some of the other ones. Their load can grow quickly. The way they target and feed on the gut is really severe as opposed to, say, a worm. A worm load can do a lot of damage, but the coccidia just goes right through the chickens a lot faster. And here's the other thing I want people to understand as they're listening to us is that coccidiosis is no one's fault. And it can happen to any chicken keeper. It can happen at any time. It's just something that's in the environment. You just have to have your arsenal ready to treat. Preparation. Yeah, preparation. You have to be prepared. 
sometimes stuff happens and you need to be prepared and informed. So like, for instance, the other day a thunderstorm rolled through here and the rain came from the north. It doesn't usually do that. But that meant it blew straight in the door of a couple of my coops and we had wet right. bedding. I'm not leaving yeah. wet bedding in my coops. No. I didn't do a full clean. I just scraped out all the wet bedding, let it dry for a little while, put dry bedding in there. But again, information and preparation, I was ready to go. I was ready to take care of that. So let's move on to treatment and diagnosis. In your instance, you needed to treat even before a stool sample. We know that treatment is safe. In my case, I had an older chick who was multiple months old. It was my very first flock. I wasn't prepared in my arsenal at that point because the chicken ladies weren't out there telling me what to be prepared for. Right. I did go to my veterinarian and that was my first experience with chicken keeping and a veterinarian was, okay, I'm bringing you this poop. It's massive diarrhea. Tell me what's in it. We think that both are equally and highly important. So if you have your corid on hand, you can start treating and getting a stool sample out to the vet. Given the speed at which coccidiosis can kill a bird, especially a young bird, it really is important to take the two-pronged approach. You want to treat ASAP. Like Chrissy said, corid is quite safe. But you also need to get the diagnostics done because maybe that is or is not your problem. Or maybe... Or paired with something else. Exactly. Or you have maybe, a double problem. And that's entirely possible. Don't hesitate to treat if you think you have coccidiosis, but get the diagnostics done because you need that tool too. And the reality is you cannot diagnose coccidiosis without microscopic work. You have got to look at the organism under a microscope. Well, we were talking the other day about what was going on with little girl. That was her name because she was the runt. And you know what? She could have had them from the beginning. I was always pushing her to thrive. And she had coccidia rounds and hooks. And I'm like, where did this come from? Well, we first built a fresh run. We had the fresh Amish coop in there. Just turning over that dirt in the run might have been enough. Yeah to stir up something to, you Absolutely. know, give them all this coccidia, roundworm, hookworm. So you never know what's in that soil. So the treatment for coccidiosis is called a coccidostat. Yes. There's a lot of misunderstanding about it. Mm -hmm. This is not an antibiotic. No, not at all. Not. An antibiotic would not do anything against coccidiosis. Nope. The coccidostat in the U.S., the brand we use for the strains of Imeria in chicken is called Amprolium. Right. Amprolium is a thiamine blocker. It works by blocking thiamine uptake in the coccidiosis and starves them so they die. It comes in liquid or powder form. And the brand name of it is Corid. Right. And in other countries, it may have different names, but it's going to be the same thing. A coccidostat is the universal treatment for coccidiosis. Just a little note here. You know we love natural preventatives. We absolutely love things like herbs in the water, et cetera, right. et cetera. And they can go a long way to helping prevent an outbreak. If you have a chicken that has coccidiosis, a natural cure is not going to kill that coccidia load. Yeah, you need something that's starving the coccidia of what they need to live and thrive. This is what Amprolium does. Corid is the brand name. It's really important to know because so many people reach out to us and say, I don't want to do medicated food because it's an antibiotic and I don't want to give my chickens antibiotics. And so many times we have to say, you're not. From a coccidia outbreak, full recovery usually takes between 10 days and two weeks. It's a bit of a long process. Yes. 
some of the tips and tricks. Now, you need to consult your veterinarian with individual treatment plans for your flock. One little tip I have is if you are looking for a way to get a little more cord into youngsters, or actually any bird, is to put some of the cord water in mash. But again, you want to formulate that plan with your veterinarian. We do do it a little differently. I Mm -hmm. give it directly in the mouth. If it's a bad outbreak, for example, caramel, that was bad. And we did treat her directly in the mouth, but we treated everyone else in the brooder in the drinking water in the mash. You can get however you're going to get it in powder and liquid. And on the bottle itself, it's going to tell you exactly how to dose. And those things are so important to look at and understand how you want to do it. If you want to put it in the drinking water, if you want to make drinking water and then make a mash with it, if you want to use the formula on the bottle to give directly by mouth and also add it in the drinking water, those dosings for you are directly on the bottle. So you want to look at those and consult your veterinarian. Right. This is what I will say about coccidiosis. This is not one that you can spend hours searching the internet for. Cord is very safe. Follow the instructions or follow your veterinarian's instructions. If you have questions, you can message us. We will get back to you ASAP. We cannot diagnose coccidiosis for you. We can tell you what we would do. One of the things we strongly suggest for new chicken keepers is feeding medicated feed. We believe in medicated feed 1 million percent. And we talk about this all the time in all of our chick episodes because we find it so important for chicks who are coming to you without a coccidiosis vaccine. This is your number one item in your arsenal right? that's going to stop this before it even has a chance to happen. It, it acts it's as easy. a preventative. And the best yes. cure is always prevention. To the medication, yes. we've explained it's not an antibiotic. Every now and again, you'll see someone say that wry neck is caused by medicated feed. I have not seen that in 20 years of chicken keeping. Is it possible? Sure. Anything is possible. But we think for a new chicken keeper, the risk of coccidiosis is way, way higher. And if you have any problems, you can simply transfer your bird to unmedicated feed and give them polyvasa or something to bump up their vitamins and minerals. Most often, raw neck is caused by vitamin E and selenium deficiency, not thiamine. It's possible with thiamine. It is extremely rare. Yeah. So this is where I'm going to jump in and talk about Clover's story. Clover is my only chick out of all of my chicks over all these years that right now sits on unmedicated food. And that is because her failure to thrive for whatever reason, we've talked about this in previous episodes. We do believe now at this point that her failure to thrive could have been from an injury to the head during transportation to us. We err on the side of let's be safe. And we moved her from the medicated food. She's the only one of my five chicks right now, besides her sister Truffle, because Truffle is now living with her, that is not on the medicated food. It's your first step of prevention. It's scientifically researched for many years to work. Absolutely. It's a first line of prevention. And again, the risks are far outweighed by the protection against coccidiosis that they add, especially for an inexperienced chicken keeper. If you're looking for frontline prevention, the other thing you can do is have your chicks vaccinated against coccidiosis. It's becoming more popular now. It used to be far less available. Some of the hatcheries are definitely offering the vaccine 
our chicks that are coming from Murray McMurray are going to be vaccinated. The thing to understand about the vaccine itself is it has had a progression through the years. The very first Coccidia vaccine came out around 1952, and it had a reputation of being a leaky vaccine, which simply means it gave a little too much of the protozoa to the chicken, which then they couldn't fight off. So since 1952 till now, there's been lots and lots of scientific work on this vaccine, and now it's available, and it's amazing. When we talked with Dr. Rebecca about Merrick's disease, we talked about the leaky vaccine. And some of it comes down to whether it is an attenuated or non-attenuated vaccine. Right. Essentially, whether it's a live or killed organism. And like you were saying, the early ones, there were live strains of Emeria, and they were often just too much for the immune system for the chicken to fight off. Exactly. So it was like giving them a death sentence at that point. The current generation of Coxivac is a non-attenuated vaccine. Our chicks are getting this vaccine. We're excited. It's actually the first time we've had this available at a hatchery for our chicks. It's a non-attenuated version, so it's a killed vaccine. And what I thought was really interesting is it comes in different forms. And right. this one is a spray. Yeah. So essentially, they put the chicks in a little chamber and spray the vaccine and they inhale it, which yeah. I thought was fascinating. There's also a version of it that is in ovo. So the eggs are sprayed and they're given the protection that way. We talked about eggs and how porous they are in other episodes. Eggs seem hard and solid, the shell itself, but no, it's thousands upon thousands of little tiny pores. So if you can spray the egg, it's going to be absorbed through the egg and into the chick that way. If you choose to have your chicks vaccinated with this, it's very, very inexpensive. From what I've seen, it actually costs less than the Merrick's vaccine. Yeah. The other thing is, once your chick is vaccinated, you don't need to feed medicated feed. Let's go with what else we can do as chicken keepers that will help. Number one, clean and dry. Yeah. If you have to change those pine shavings every day, every other day, I have a cat litter scoop mm-hmm. that sits with all of mine that I scoop as much of the poop out multiple times during the day so that they're not stepping in their feet and then biting at their feet and taking all the poop in. This is how it spreads. We talked to Tom over at McMurray Hatchery when he had his 3,000 chicks at his house, which I still, he still find has them. <laughs> a completely an amazing fact. Number one thing he was talking to us is the importance of clean and dry bedding for these chicks. That's something that you can do. And Holly Ann mentioned a little while ago about bringing in small amounts of dirt and grass where older chickens have been to create a small level of immunity. That's also one thing that you can do. I want to say, though, that I've never tried that personally. So we can't speak from experience on that. It's just something we've seen some chicken keepers do. We've never had to because we use the medicated food. Right. So the other thing that I want to mention is the oasis are killed by freezing or by high temperatures. Right. So spring and fall are your main seasons that you're going to see this flourishing. They like the middle of the road temperatures, but say you're in a geographical area that's always middle of the road temperatures, you're going to have that problem year round. We're in an area where it gets to be 105 in the summer and 25 in the winter. That's good for us. We only have part of the year. It's going to be a little bit more under control at certain seasons. The other thing you can do is watch your stocking density. Make sure there's enough space in your coop and your run and your brooder. A lot of the world has been stuck on lockdown because of avian flu. 
So oh, it yeah. might be a good plan to make sure you can make enough run or yard space to keep your chickens in during avian flu and not end up with super stocking density. The other thing that I like to mention is a keen eye. We hear so many people talking about chickens are so quick. You can take care of them in 10 minutes a day. It takes us longer because we observe our chickens for much longer. We yeah. like to watch them and see what's happening I like to know if somebody has diarrhea, who it is, if there's blood in it. I like to know these things as quickly as I can. So if you can, take a little bit more time in just observation and watching your chickens, making sure everybody's at the food bowl, making sure there's no major diarrhea problems. Nobody's standing apart, puffed up and hunched. That could exactly. be a lot of problems, but it is definitely a coccidiosis symptom too. The other thing is, it's calming to me, and I'm sure it's calming to most chicken ladies, to kind of sit with your chickens oh, yeah. and just watch them do their thing. And a lot of people say, like, the fact that they don't stop, it's calming to people to stop and watch. It's like mm -hmm. TV, you know? Yeah. And just watching their habits can help prevent. And the other thing is, having quarry at all times for the whole lifetime of the chicken, sometimes you have to look at the expiration date. Heck, yeah. you want to buy it and spend that $15 and not have to use it. But that's okay. When you see a problem at 10 o'clock at night, you're going to be set. You're going to be ready to go. If you're looking to be budget-minded and have a form of it that probably doesn't expire as quickly, go with the powder. It's all in your own preference on what Absolutely. you like to use. You were saying, though, you were having trouble finding the powder. Yes, I have had trouble finding the powder. I haven't tried to find it lately because I just bought the liquid. I haven't used other liquid. But I like yeah. my powder. I want my powder again. Yeah, and I think it's time for me to renew mine. We all want to prevent. And if we need to, we want to treat early so that the treatment is easy. We don't want to let it progress. No. People ask us what's in our first aid kit a lot. We might have a different first aid kit for different things. But if you had to have top 10 essentials, pour it is on there every single time. I think it's on all of our first aid kits, correct? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This is one so, of the I mean, yeah, it's yeah. something that you always want to have available to you at any hour of the day. Or we talk about the chicken buddy. If mine's expired, I'm calling Holly and saying, meet me on the roadside. Give me some porridge. This is not one where you can say, I'll go to the TSC in the morning. No, your chicken might not last until the morning. This is one. Yeah. That, this is emergency. It is an emergency. So if you have to treat, that's perfect. But also we always tell you to go to your veterinarian have that relationship, take in a stool sample, make sure that's all you're dealing with and make sure that's exactly what it is and that it's not that along with something else or something yeah. else entirely. The other point about coccidiosis is immunity. It is possible for chickens to develop immunity against coccidiosis. That's why the vaccine works. It's also possible for your chicken to be carrying coccidiosis and have subclinical symptoms or no symptoms at all. Right. A lot of this comes down to which strain they're infected with. And a lot of this comes down to the immune system of that chick or chicken in itself. Right. You could have a chick that has failure to thrive and has two coccidia, or you could have a very strong, robust chick that has 10,000 and they look sane. You need to look at the individual chick. Immunity is the best case scenario. They're going to pick them up occasionally. That's the best thing for their own body to fight them off and get rid of them. Yeah. So there's your rundown on coccidiosis. Take it seriously. Be prepared. If you have any questions or concerns, please feel free to either direct message us on Instagram, send us an email, 
we will help you any way we can. And sometimes it may be saying to you, it's time to call the veterinarian, but we will help you any way we can. Okay. So I think we should move it to cracking the eggs. Cracking those eggs. It's only fitting that this week, a week or two after I've been in Mexico, I didn't even think of that. This is our recipe. Easy huevos rancheros. I think I had this when I was there. Did you? I was going to ask you. Yeah. Yeah. Huevos rancheros, also known as rancher's eggs. It's been around for a long time. Yeah, it was developed in Mexico on farms and ranches. It was traditionally a hearty mid-morning meal for the farmhands to eat after they'd come in from doing the early morning chores. Yeah. That's when I have my extra cup of coffee. But, you know, Huevos Rancheros, if I came in at, say, 9 or 10 a.m. and they were sitting there, that would be beautiful. Yeah. And I kind of do a version of this myself every single day because I eat salsa with right. my eggs. Now, I want to make the note that this is not authentic, old-fashioned Huevos Rancheros. This is Americanized. It's quick. And it's delicious. I think I do it almost every day because I eat salsa on top of my eggs. So huevos rancheros is essentially salsa and fried eggs on warm tortillas with a side of refried beans. Yep. So you're just doing the quick and dirty version. Yep, exactly. I do it too. I make lots of veggie omelets and put salsa on top. It's so good. To me, eggs and salsa are the best thing. Oh, it, it just works. You add a side of refried beans. Now, Weight Watchers, my beans are zero points. They're they yellow are. foods on new. So I can have, now refried are like one point because they're a little bit higher in fat. They tend to have fat. Sometimes they're even made with lard. And I try not to get those. I get the vegetarian ones. Oh, that's what I get anyway. Yeah. yeah. So they're a little bit healthier for you. But beans, if you just smash some black beans or pinto beans. So good. There are lots of recipes out there for authentic Quavers Rancheros. Yeah. It generally loves making your own salsa. Yeah. Warming up your tortillas. Or making your own tortillas. Yeah. Tortilla press. I'm not there yet. Me either. Although I have had handmade, homemade tortillas and boy, are they good. Are they better? I found them better. They tasted fresher. Okay. It was made with masa harina. Oh, okay. But yeah, I have had fresh handmade tortillas and they tasted fresher to me. You could taste more of the corn. Yeah. I thought they were really good. Yeah. That's not to say I'm going to go to the trouble of making them because I just don't have that much time. Yeah. I've also made my own salsa and me also too. very time consuming. It's very time consuming. Delicious. So essentially, we're going to tell you to use your, salsa from a jar. Your most favorite salsa. Yeah. Warm your tortillas. You can either steam the tortillas or you can fry them. Yeah, because our whole goal in cracking the eggs is to give you different ideas of how to eat your eggs. Right. And especially now during egg season. So many eggs. There's so many eggs. This is another way just to simply eat breakfast with your eggs. Yeah. That maybe somebody hasn't thought of. Right. But salsa, eggs, and beans, tortilla, all go great together. If you're looking for a heartier meal, that's the whole thing. This was developed for farmhands and ranchers. So if you're looking for a heartier meal, go with the tortillas. Yeah. You know, the fancier salsa and the refried beans. Yeah. You and I are not going to eat usually that stuff. We're like eggs, veg, beans. salsa. <laughs> uh, some of the beans for me. You you obviously get to eat more beans than I do. I'm so excited about the zero point beans. I bought seeds for pinto beans. Nice. I found them in an heirloom catalog and I was like, I've never grown pinto beans, so I'm giving them a try. That's awesome. Just a little aside there. So yeah, make there, it, pick exactly. There's not even really a hard and fast recipe for it's it. It's just another way to eat your eggs. Right. A little different, a little Mexican flair on it. And I was just there and I did have those there. So good. I really want the tortillas and the beans now. I know. Sounds so good. Anyway. Okay. So I think we should move on to retail. Therapy. Retail therapy. Yeah. yeah. 
this week we have the cutest children's book. We are reviewing The Little Regenerative Farmer, and this book is so adorable. It's a children's book. It was written by Lauren Lovejoy. We know Lauren from Instagram. Yeah. We follow her account. It's Bluehorn, Virginia, which is a really lovely regenerative farm filled with all kinds of animals. I'm in love with her sheep. Yeah. I mean, if you want to go over, give her a follow. It's Bluehorn VA. I will put other socials in show notes. So. so this little book is about a little girl who goes to breakfast with her parents It's a great book for that age of two to eight. Really curious. Yeah. And she goes to breakfast with her parents and she decides she wants to have a farm. Right. (laughs) Obviously, the idea is dismissed. It's a lot of work, et cetera, et cetera. So she breaks it down step by step. She wants chickens. Yeah. They get her chickens. And then she decides that they need to eat pasture all the time. So she starts rotational grazing with yes. the chickens. Yeah, it's really cute. And then, of course, the neighbors come over and complain because the grass is high. And then she takes the eggs over and says, well, this is what my chickens. And then the neighbors are like, okay. Right. And really, by the end of the book, the whole neighborhood is involved. She's feeding all these people. Right. She's made a really healthy backyard farm at her own home. Yeah. It's a fantastic message. And I've got to say the illustrations are ridiculously yeah, cute. Yeah, I love the illustrations. I love the animals. Illustrator is Yana Gorbachev. I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing that wrong. I love the fact in the book at the very end that Lauren puts the definitions of what regenerative farm are. Mm-hmm what these different principles of the agriculture is so that after you read this to your child, you can look back and read to them exactly what it is. It does kind of fuel a little one to want to do the same. It really does. And I found with my nieces and nephews, even at a young age, they understand things like life cycles. They understand integrating a lot of these principles into a farm. Right. It makes sense to them. I mean, she starts a garden, the chickens, the sheep are there. There is a big storm that comes in the middle of the book, Mm -hmm. but it is such a cute book, such a great read. I have not read it to the mini helper yet. I will be. I love a couple of the messages in it. I love agriculture with these principles that take care of the earth and nourish people. Right. But I also love the overarching themes in here of working together. Oh, yeah. I mean, the neighbors turn around. The neighbors turn around. It's a fantastic message that I feel like we don't see enough of cooperation. Yeah, I love sparking inspiration into these little kids Mm -hmm. and getting them to want to do it also. The little girl is beyond cute. She's wearing a chick t-shirt. It shows these little ones that they can do it too, with the help of their parents, of course. Yeah, I was thinking about that. And I don't know if this is just our generation, but think about how many times you wanted to do something and you were told no. Yeah. Over and over. I wanted sheep as a kid. Yeah, you always say that. And you know how many times I was told, no, sheep are always looking for a way to die. Yeah. Yeah. Like horses aren't. How many times were we at your house and we had to go up to the road to get the horses? Yeah, they were escape artists. Because they got out all the time. And so I was in my 40s when I got my sheep. But guess what? Yeah. I got my sheep and I have my rotational grazing. Yeah, you do have rotational grazing. I love this book for so many reasons. Yeah, it's just so cute. And there's multiple animals. And like we said, the illustrations are great. It's a great good night book where you're Mm going to sit and you're going to answer some questions. You're going to have what's regenerative farming? What is all this different stuff that plays into this rotational grazing? It's a good way to explain it. It's a very good way to explain it. There's a little bit of trouble that happens in there. Yeah, the storm. It ends up being, it's a really, really feel-good book. The other thing that I like about this book, both covers are such 
top quality. Yeah, the paper quality is really nice. It's so soft. It's nice to handle. I read books to the kids all the time. Uh-huh. Well, not mine. They're older anymore. But right. the little helper, my niece and my nephew. And it's such top quality. It's so smooth to hold in your hands. It's just a nice book all the way around. I like that it's an actual binding. I mean, as a former librarian, I cannot tell you how many crappy, stapled together, poor quality paper books we would go through. There's also a sheet of stickers tucked in here. They're so cute. The mini helper's not getting this. (laughs) She likes to come down and look at our library. We have a library in our studio where we keep all of our books, and she likes to come down, and I usually read all of them to her. This one will be next week. She'll love it. It's definitely a very nice story and a nice book. So let's tell everybody where they can get this book before we go. So you can get it on Amazon. We'll have a link in our show notes. You can also get it on Lauren's website, thebluehornva.com. And again, link in the show notes. If you have a little one that likes chickens. Or a big one who likes chickens. Yeah, both of us would highly recommend this book. Absolutely. Okay, so should we tell everybody what we're going to be talking about next week? Okay, next week, we are profiling the beautiful 55 Flowery Hen. Oh, yes. Our topic is a roundtable with Fiona. We're going to be discussing how to keep chickens on a budget. Yeah, that's a big one out there. That's a big topic, yeah. Our crack in the eggs is lasagna with eggs. It's a Southern Italian recipe. So good. It's yummy. And our retail therapy is egg aprons. Yay! That's fun. Okay, so what should we tell everybody to do until next week? Hug your chickens. Every day and kiss them too. Don't forget, we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. If you'd like to see more of us, please follow us on Instagram at Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. If you'd like to help us grow the podcast, please leave us a written review on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, please visit our Patreon page, patreon.com slash coffee with the chicken ladies. Thanks for listening.